Hi there, I'm Siobhan Fletcher. Earlier this year, I produced a series for Manx Radio entitled A Brief History of Pride, where we, well, you know, looked at the history of pride, both here in the Isle of Man and in the UK. I started the series off by looking at the origins of Pride from the Stonewall Uprising in New York City to the formation of the Gay Liberation Front in London. One of the people I spoke to was Andrew Lumsden, who sadly passed away this week. Let me tell you a little bit about Andrew. For the entirety of his adult life, he fought and campaigned for LGBTQ rights alongside other well-known activists. He joined the JLF in 1970, when he was a journalist at The Times on Fleet Street, he later went on to found Gay News, the first legal LGBTQ paper since the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality in 1967, and he attended the very first Pride in London march in 1972. He was a true trailblazer, one of those few people who stood up and made their voices heard and paved the way for the freedoms that gay people have in the modern world. Now, way before I worked at Manx Radio or pitched this series, back when I was doing my master's degree in broadcast journalism, I had to put together a final major project, kind of like a dissertation. We had to produce a series of radio reports on a topic of our choice, and given that it was 2020 and we were in the middle of a pandemic-induced lockdown, I chose to look at how pride was being marked in those most extraordinary of circumstances. I reached out to members of the GLF, amongst others, and Andrew was one of the first people to quite quickly respond, saying he was happy to chat. He was generous with his time, and so very supportive of a young journalist looking to just hear his experiences. I'll be forever grateful that he took the time out of his day to speak to me. So, the following audio is the full interview for that day, as recorded over Zoom at the time. I hope you enjoy hearing his take on modern pride and hearing his memories from the very beginning, as much as I did back in 2020. I've only got sort of a few questions for you. I'm just hoping that we can kind of talk around them and, and see, you know, where the conversation goes, really. And I know that some of them you've probably been asked a million times I guess, first of all, what was your role in the beginning of, of the Pride movement and, and how did you watch it sort of grow from, from the GLF? I didn't help organise it. Uh, I just went on it. By then, we were doing so many dozens of things in any given month that most of us would go on something that somebody else had organised. In this case, you probably know it was the under-21s of the Gay Liberation Front who organised it. So part of its purpose, they declared, was to be a carnival, to be out there looking happy and encouraged and encouraging. But part of it also was a deliberate political programme of scrap the law that says men can have no sexual relations of the slightest sort below the age of 21, and even then, only in special circumstances. So it was a mixture of um, a party and politics. I've been with Gay Liberation Front since early December 1970, so I've been with that movement for about 18 months. And... 
we've done lots of demonstrations in the intervening period. And the year before, there had been what would have been called a Pride, two Pride Walks, um, if the name had yet been given to it. So we'd had trial runs already, walking to or from Trafalgar Square. And do you feel that the Pride parades that are held now have drifted far away from that initial idea then? Or do you think that there's still that core value of it being like carnivalesque and, you know, it being political as well as just a celebration? Well, despite what some of the organisers who hold the contract for the London one say, uh, and they have protested loudly, it is a protest, it is not a party. The organisers of the present London one, they've said that. But they don't follow through as many of us would wish what that means. So they declare an annual slogan, which is usually anemic, anodyne, pointless. At moments when we have what has gone on in Chechnya, we have what has gone on, is going on now in Poland, in Hungary, in obviously lots of other parts of the world. Um, and the slogan every, every year should be a political slogan because it was in 1972. And we started it uh, within the Gay Liberation Front. So we ought to get a better hearing when we say this is wrong, it's missing. It has to have a purposive political slogan and it must lose all its militarism because our liberation movement has such powerful links with the liberation movements of people of color in Asia and in the Americas and such powerful links with Quakerism in this country. It is, and with Gan Gandhi, of course, it is in intolerable to those of us who were there in 1972 that anything resembling a military outfit, whether it's clothing or a float, appears in the London Pride. It is insufferable. And that is so easily remedied. You just stop it. Did it for a while. It was a mistake. Don't do it again. Do you feel that you're not, um, sort of GLF members aren't being heard then? Do you think that, you know, you're having to have this, rehash the same arguments every year, year on year, especially in, with Pride in London? We try to have friendly talks and, and the organisers try to have friendly talks with us. And the thousand or so unpaid paid volunteers, obviously, we, we get on famously with whenever we encounter them. Extremely rare exceptions when somebody does something odd with stewarding. But otherwise, the good intentions are there on our side because we value what the annual pride in London, we're only speaking of the London one at this moment, mm -hmm. um, we value what that is for the people who come to take part by watching. There's the 30,000 maximum 
in the absence of coronavirus who who can be within the, the barricades walking along and as the immense numbers of mainly young people who are standing watching everybody go by and they are wonderful i talked to them every year they are wonderful with their enthusiasm they will call out thank you thank you to people who are walking along and particularly bless them they do it to the decrepitly silver-haired ones who <laughs> go by <laughs> and so of course we will go and talk to them at the barricades and it's a day out people have come from Brazil or they've come from Basildon and they are making themselves a program for what else they'll do during the day it's a great gathering I don't want to see it vanish mm -hmm. I want to see the carnival go on and the, the politics to be readjusted for those who organize either to persuade the mayor of London and the organizing bodies behind the mayor of London, either to persuade them that it is intolerable to remove the politics to the degree that they have been, or to persuade themselves. And we can't in our conversations judge how far the organizers are being forced into their, their positions and how far they choose their positions. So it's interesting that to me that it's kind of it's just a readjustment of the I guess conversations around it and that the politics needs to be more prevalent in that way the fact that you don't want a decrease in that sort of carnival atmosphere and, and things like that I've seen mixed conversations around that is that um, I'm wondering what your opinion is on um, a big conversation that has come up a lot with people I've been speaking to is the presence of police in pride so the fact that they oftentimes I know up here in, in Manchester they like walk in the parade and um what your opinion is on that because I think that could go either way really is it like that that's very inclusive and that's great or is it that they don't have a place to be to be walking in a pride parade considering you know the, histo the history there so I'm just interested what what your take is on that as well well it seems to me that each year if we're going to do these pride events well in Manchester, in London, in Norwich, where I go, in um, Colchester, where I went last year. If we're going to do these events well, each year is a new political discussion. So if we were to agree that a carnival is a very good thing, or whatever word you use, party mm -hmm. carnival, celebration, but that is a wonderful thing then each year there will have to be a discussion about where the politics are. And the police, well, there was the first year, I've now slightly forgotten which year it was, maybe it was 2003. The first time the, the Metropolitan Police came on the London Parade in uniform by consent uh, of the Met was, I thought, a wonderful development. And... I would have welcomed that if I'd been part of a group discussing what to do in 2003. Uh, if it were, we'll forget about this year, if it's 2021, 
I would think that the presence of the police should be decided on according to the continuing conduct of the police towards people of colour. So it's not the same each year. What I would claim to be the same each year is the military out. Okay. Ever. Because it's not part of our history. And do you mean that by the military, any branch of the military walking in a parade or just the sort of formation of a parade, like you were saying before, the way that there's floats and, and things? Is it the, the visual, the kind of aesthetics of the parade that you think needs to be completely reformatted or that there shouldn't be a presence of a military presence in it kind of thing or both? I, I wouldn't like to use the word aesthetics because I feel it's, it's more powerful mm-hmm. than than the look. The key example I've been using is that last year, 2019, in the London Parade was a mobile cinema the size of one of those really big screens you find at sporting events Mm -hmm. in pubs, you know, the really big one. Yeah. And that showed a continuous loop of warplanes. Right. And those warplanes were being sold by... Uh, BAE Systems, leading British armaments company, to the Saudis and were being used in the Yemen, where every newspaper, even right wing as well as left wing, had been saying for years, women and children, let alone fighting men, are being killed or starved or rendered homeless in the Yemen by British built warplanes. Now, that was on our carnival celebration in 2019, rolling along the street. I was going ahead of it once I found it, saying to people at the barricades what it was, and please boo this thing as it goes by. So that's an extreme example for me. A worker for BAE is... I wouldn't try to take any policing style steps to try to say you can't be there. But inevitably, they tend to be on the other side of the barricades as long as barricades have to exist. That's really interesting. I I didn't realise that that was such a present thing in Pride. That's a very an aspect I didn't even realise through researching and things like that. So... um... Can I mention that at the same time as this was going on in, in, in 2019, one of the Gay Liberation Front people who was on the first Pride Parade in London, so that would be the first Pride Parade in Europe, Nettie Pollard, last year she was at the British Aerospace, um, the BAE Systems annual general meeting challenging the chair about what they were doing. So the dissent, a, a participant in 1972 mm-hmm. was challenging outright the leader of the corporation whose warplanes were being placed on our celebration by the organisers, yeah. by permission of the organisers. I read a lot that the London Pride is, is very much, they've been given a contract to to organise the Pride Parade for a certain amount of years. And like as you were saying, you'll try and have conversations, but they'll tend to break down. 
I saw that um, this year a lot of UGLF veterans did a march in London to mark the 50th anniversary of the Gay Liberation Front. And I've seen that it's, it's, a lot of it has been branded as Reclaim Pride. Do you think that those sorts of events need to take place because you're then directly in comparison against that sort of corporation that's allowing those sorts of floats to, to go down the route and things like that? That's important Then you've got a separate pride almost going in opposition. There's a lot of my friends who, in or out of the original Gay Liberation Front, who who won't go on London Pride at all. Mm-hmm. And if they lived in Manchester, very likely wouldn't go on Manchester Pride. They might well go on, on a Pride uh, in Norwich until they find out that military recruiting is going on there, which it was last year. <laughs> so many people I love and admire won't go to any of these, and therefore they choose a Black Pride event. Or they create an event in their own neighbourhood. And I haven't reached the point where I won't go on it in London where I live because I value the, the underlying achievement that from a few hundred of us in 1972 set aside the people who were on the, 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 the walk, the march. There are, there are hundreds time, of times more people simply attending it with brilliant smiles than were on it in 1972, and I don't want to lose that. I like to recapture walking through the centre of the UK capital. I don't mind if it doesn't happen one year or another, but I don't want to see it die. Mm -hmm. I read your um, Rainbow Planet document from 2019. Oh, you saw that? Yeah, yeah, I found it online. I was reading through it the the other day, and... um, I saw that you said in that that nobody has to be an activist and that, you know, if you can manage to just come out, then that's brave enough. Do you Mm. think that that's your attitude towards pride and activism in general? Or do you think you'd like to see more young LGBTQ plus people be more active in in the political side of things? Or do you think just coming out and and attending these parades is enough? Well, I think I hope that we've all, all of us in our sort of, (laughs) all of us who've seen decades of activism I I don't mean being heroic for for dozens of years I simply mean who've seen it now and then or taken part now and then I think we have a much wider understanding than we did 50 years ago because 50 years ago we were really only addressing more or less our own audience in London because there were there was no social media that was how you easily could contact some people and so it was an overwhelmingly white affair not because we wished it to be but it was and uh, we weren't aware of some were aware we must get this right some were aware But I, for one, was not aware in the way we can be today of the situation in overseas countries with links to here 
and people from those countries who've sought to come here. And time and again, you can't be an activist and you can't show your face in any public arena because of what will be done to your people back home. And so I don't think any of us would shout as loudly now, come out, come out, come out, trying to embarrass people into being public. I don't think many of us would do that now. Come out where you can and how you can, and only be an activist if it suits you. I do say always, my lovers have come to me through activism. Adored friends, lifelong friends have come to me through activism. I'm sure people can find them in other ways, by being a musician in orchestras, say. (laughs) But that's how I found a, a wonderful world. And so for those who can do it, activism is a wonderful world for oneself and not only for what one might do. Rainbow Planet was a cooperation with the organisers of London Pride, in case you hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I, I did notice that, and I, I find that interesting. That so that they did they like commission it or did they? No, I suggested it to, to them. Oh, okay, yeah. And um, as when we were talking very early last year to them, we just said, you know, young people went through the same story as before, what people are like who are watching and how young they tend to be. And we were just saying so many don't know what a term like gay liberation comes from and they don't know what pride comes from as a word. They don't know where the rainbow flag comes from. Um, What about a pamphlet or something to, to distribute free? And so that was really good. The organisers went for it and paid a lot of money. And some very young designers who were volunteers without any pain designed it. And it was lovely. Yes, I think it's very important to, I think, know your history and know why we can have these and why there are these huge parades now. You need to know that that history. So I think that's a brilliant idea to hand that out at Pride. I guess my my final question for you would be, I don't want to keep you all, all day, so I'll give you one last question would just be looking into the future. Should Pride look different in years to come? Like beyond, I know we've talked about the political side of things. Do you think there should be a major shift or do you think it's just opening these conversations with people? It's opening conversations, yes. That's something It reminds me what's been going on, reminds me so much of how things were, were for a little while in 1970, 1973 between an older organisation called Committee for Homosexual Equality and Gay Liberation Front. And I got to know quite a lot of people at Committee for Homosexual Equality, which changed its name to Campaign for Homosexual Equality. Uh, I got to know quite a lot of people there. And I became aware that many were terrified of Gay Liberation Front. I don't mean they expected to be attacked physically, but were terrified emotionally, mentally. And in a way, I think some who take part in planning 
London Pride hath that long ago campaign for homosexual equality fear of the politicals of the liberation front you're still you're oh. still scaring organizers <laughs> uh, yes and we we got through that we can i hope get through this and continue to have a huge central london party central manchester party <laughs> and so on yeah for as long as people want it and want to come to it I hope you enjoyed this conversation between Andrew Lumsden from the GLF and myself, Siobhan Fletcher. I'd like to say again, it was an honour to speak to him. And thank you for listening.